Hey, what's up? Kalen here. Uh, in this episode, I talk with my buddy Joel Hart, uh, the CEO and founder of Mediotype, an e-commerce uh, development agency, uh, Magento Enterprise Solutions partner, and we talk about hiring remote. Um, they've done a good chunk of hires through through Commerce Hero and, and otherwise, and have built a really a solid uh, distributed development team with some amazing talent and uh, really um, uh, a team that's really excited and passionate about what they do. And it's 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 fully distributed. Well, it's very very close to fully distributed. 30, 35 people. Some people in house in their in their office, mostly project management in their office in uh, Boulder, Colorado. And he's actually out in Hawaii uh, at the time of this recording. So we talk about a range of things from you know how to find out when your team you know make sure that your team is enthusiastic and stay in touch. You know how they structure their one on ones. Uh, we talk about you know client engagement engagements and how to kind of keep a balance with things, a balance between, um, you know, bringing in top talent and at the same time bringing, you know, having an environment that's cohesive and encouraging and that, you know, you don't have developers that are, that are grouchy and kind of causing cultural uh, problems. Uh, so we talk about a bunch of stuff. It's a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, you can find uh, him on Twitter at uh, Mediotype, M-E-D-I-O-T-Y-P-E. And their website is Mediotype.com. He also mentions they are doing a refresh of the website very soon. So the website is a little bit outdated at the moment, but you can find them uh, there. And so I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, there we go. And we are live. What's going on, man? I'm live with Kalen Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been cool. a long time coming. I know, it really has. We've been talking about it for probably a year. Yeah, <laughs> just about a year. Just about a year. Um, and what a, what a good time for this topic, too, because I am sitting in Hawaii right now. Yeah, that's true. I, I hadn't made that connection. It's like it's like a, you're more remote than usual. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> how's uh, how's Hawaii going? Uh, it's good. Saying? You know, I, I brought work with me this week, but next week hopefully I'll be a little bit on vacation. Oh, okay, okay. Horrible. Yeah. That's horrible. You can't bring work to Hawaii. Well, you can. I, I think I told you I, I did that back in the day. Um, I actually I fell in love with working remote from Hawaii about I don't know 12 years ago um, yeah. I was out here out here for a wedding and just brought my computer with me stayed for two weeks and <laughs> did work and so this is kind of where where I really got the itch to work remote why don't you guys live in Hawaii anyways um that's a good question it's really expensive <laughs> ah come on you can afford it <laughs> um i love colorado man I, lo I love skiing in the winter i love the mountains yeah. in the summer yeah uh, you know yeah. i have a network i have support in colorado so i'm, I'm very happy with colorado and no. i need to get out to the ocean at least a couple times a year yeah yeah gives you gives you an excuse right. um Nice man. So I guess we're gonna talk. I've been I've been looking forward to uh, <laughs> talking about hiring remote with you for a while. Um, you know, something that <laughs> I talk about a lot, and a lot of people talk about a lot. One of the things I think that's unique about you guys is that 
you're doing, uh, you're doing a ton of it. I mean, you guys have what, 30, 34 people that are mostly all remote now or, or thir- at least 30 remote. Uh, close to 30 remote. I mean, we've got, you know, obviously we have a headquarters in Superior, Colorado. Um, it's, it's a beautiful office. I love it. Uh, we have work from home Wednesday for people that are staffed in the office because everybody else is remote and it's kind of nice to break up the week. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, a lot of our development staff is remote. Uh, we have one project manager remote and you know, mostly it's mostly it's management in the office, which is great because we you know we need to whiteboard things, we need to meet with clients, we do have some development in the office, uh, we have sales in the office, things like that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, what, like what I've found is that if we really want to put together, you know, the right team with the right talent, you know, hiring remote and having a process and setup that really supports that has been you know, a huge advantage for our company. Yeah, yeah, I think. I think everybody on some level, <laughs> you know, has to tap into some, you know, some element of, a, of making their team remote. You know, some people it's like, it's the one person who used to work on site and then they had to move out of town. And so they still work with the company. Right. And then, you know, for others, it's like, well, we have a couple people that are, you know, contractors, but we don't want to have a lot of people. And then others, I think really embrace it and just, you know, hire a ton of people remote. And then you really got to kind of bake it into your, your tools, your, your workflow, um, your kind of your management style, um, all that kind of stuff to make it work. And uh, so, I mean, and, you know, full disclosure, you guys have done a a lot of hiring through Commerce Hero, but um, what, you know, I, what (laughs) is funny is, I always check with people when after, if I play somebody, you know, I check with them, Hey, how are things going? And, um, you know, sometimes people like, I'd like to think pretty much all of the commerce here jobs are, are above average and pretty, pretty solid jobs. But you know, sometimes people are like, Oh, it's going okay. <laughs> you know? And like, I've ever had this one guy in Eastern Europe and, you know, they could be very direct in Eastern Europe. And I was like, so how's this job going? It's like, Oh, it's about a five out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that happens but what struck what's uh, struck me about everybody that's worked for you guys is i hear stuff like it's the best experience of my professional career um, so so happy i really uh, kind of struck to make it work keep people happy you know how do you I mean there's a lot to get into how do you structure teams how do you you know how do you do it all but oh man there's a lot to get into um that's really those are really nice things to hear so thank you um you know obviously it matters to me that people are happy working with this team um I think there's a lot there you know I think uh, we really try to adopt you know a practice of facilitating people's growth whatever that looks like. Obviously everybody's at different points uh, in their skill set development and their career development. Um, so that's, that's part of it. I mean, you know, obviously principles, values, you know, those things come into play as you're building teams, as you're leading teams um, and as you're putting a company together and growing it. 
having the right people is super important. I mean, we you know have been pretty lucky. We've had maybe a couple bad apples over the years. Um, you know, people whose attitudes just kind of <laughs> brought everybody else down. And you know, we we don't at this point, knock on wood. Um, we're going to try to keep that track record. I think that's that's one of the things that's really fundamental uh, towards building a cohesive team is just making sure you don't have, you know, the jerk on the team that's not doing his work and that's kind of miserable and grumpy and pulling everybody down. Um, For me, you know, culturally, it's been really important that the culture at Mediotype is ask for help and help each other. Um, You know, we've all been in the development space for a while so we've we've seen that you know that project or that experience or that guy or you know maybe i've been that guy at one time where you get stuck on something and you're hitting your head against the wall for days and days and days and it's futile and you know finally when you get it done you kind of look back and you're like wow i i've really got stuck on that for five days and that can be a really uh demoralizing experience and it can certainly certainly challenge you. And I think on our team, um, it's become really second nature for people to talk to each other about the technical work that they're doing, the problems that they're running into. Uh, Pair programming is really important, jumping on and helping each other. And with a remote team, you know, you have some advantages, but then you have some new challenges to overcome. And so, you know, you don't have drive-by meetings. I mean, developers, all the time I'm hearing about, you know, how unproductive they feel at the office for drive-by meetings. And, uh, you know, the downside of that is you don't have as much FaceTime and in-person communication. Uh, so right. for us, practices like pair programming, uh, tools like Slack, and then just our overall project management <laughs> process as well, um, where we're, you know, at the management side of the company, taking a look at the macro-level controls uh, across the team so that we can make sure people are staying healthy, um, that's really important. And then so, before I forget, cause like, I'm coming up with like 16 follow-up questions through everything you're saying here. But so for, before I forget on the, um, on the, uh, meetings, Slack pair programming, how do you guys, uh, how do you guys structure if we get in a little bit nuts and bolts? And I know you probably can't, you know, if there's, if there's areas where you can't get too specific, got to keep the secret sauce secret, but, um, <laughs> How do you guys structure from everything from your stand-up meetings, when the, what time those are held at in order for time zones to match up? You know, do you break up different ones? Do you have one for the whole team? How do you do meetings? How many meetings do you do? And you know, sure. how do you structure things? So that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think we've got, you know, a handful of people in Europe now um every, everywhere from western europe to eastern europe they're just top top-notch guys and those time zones are a little different um being out here in hawaii i think i'm like four hours earlier than uh, our headquarters right now so what i've asked yeah, you've been getting up at like 3 a.m in the morning i get a text from you at like 7 a.m my time and i'm like holy <laughs> crap you get some well, sleep I always get up early, but yeah, out here it's been really early. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I I ask my guys for overlap. Um, I don't ask for 100% overlap. I I don't want somebody that's eight hours ahead of us, you know, working from 4 p.m. to 3 a.m. to accommodate our office schedule. That's that's ridiculous. So what I look for is overlap um, 
for our standups, you know, for our project management meetings, a little bit of overlap during the day, like an extra hour, hour and a half minimum, uh, so that we can have communication, uh, make sure that workflows are optimized, make sure that people aren't stuck. Um, obviously, we practice agile development. So usually by the time a developer is getting on to some of the stuff they're working on, there's, there's a lot less questions. Um, lead developer, an architect, or a project manager here in the States has spearheaded uh, defining things and answering questions, you know, ahead of a sprint so that we make sure that we're not just jumping into something and then stuck. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that helps in terms of workflow. And then the overlap on time zones, um, I really want people to live a healthy, balanced work-life uh, experience and to be happy people because happy people make for good team members for the long term. So, so a little bit of overlap is good. Other than that, I really want people managing a normal business schedule, you know, in their time zone. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that's challenging uh, is figuring out holiday schedule. You know, we have a few countries now. I think we've got like nine states and I don't know, six or seven countries on the roster right now. And it's, it's tough. They've got different holidays. So, so we want to honor, you know, national holidays of our employees yeah, it's um, where they are. And then, you know, that's a little hard to track and manage for. The upside is a lot of countries don't, don't take Thanksgiving. And we all know Thanksgiving can be pretty hectic in our space. Right. Um, although we had hands down the quietest Thanksgiving that I can remember this year. There wasn't a single major fire. There, there actually were, there was no fires. That's um, a good thing. It was unreal, actually. I was what, like, this, what do you, too quiet. <laughs> it, what do you, is there anything? Can you say that again, Kaylin? You cut out. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Is there anything in particular you attribute that to? Forward planning. I mean, we started figuring out what was important to people for uh, the holidays back in August and made, you know, make damn sure that we hit every mark before the holiday. Nice. Oh, last year, last year we had a merchant that I think the first, by the end of the first week in November asked us to do something major that they'd already released marketing for. For Black Friday, but hadn't mm. done any planning or building for, um, and that was you know a nightmare. We were up the night before Thanksgiving trying to get everything done, and it was you know ninety percent complete and not fun. So, right, you know we've all had a few of those, and this year we just did, wanted to not even entertain that kind of a thing. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um. So, um, yeah, so you touched a little bit on like some things around um, how you structure things, time zone overlap. Um, you also mentioned like making sure that people are a good fit culturally. Um, yeah. And like, how do you, you know, because the other, like the other thing that impresses me about your team is you have some really like hardcore developers that you've hired. Like, a lot of the people that I'm like, whoa, this, this person is amazing. Like you've snatched them up. Like for example, you snatched up David Alger recently. Uh, and gosh, the, the, I could go through the list, just tons of really, really impressive developers. And so sometimes there's like a trade-off between, um, you know, like some, some, some of the really, really, really good developers maybe can have, I don't know if attitude is the right word, but 
maybe they could be a little difficult to deal with. Like, how do you, um, how do you, how do you, how do you balance those out? Like, that, I mean, that's a great question. I think, I think we've all worked with uh, really talented developers with really strong personalities. Exactly. Um, I, I might have been one of those. Maybe I still am. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I certainly Maybe that's write. how you do it. Maybe that's how you do it. Cause you're like a recovering, like one of those types of developers. So that's how you pull it off. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, but you know, I think we've all seen a lot of these, these small marketing agencies that you've never rubbed anyone the wrong way by talking about their code or anything like that. Right. Um, you, you, would, you would never do that. I totally <laughs> would do that in a heartbeat. And I mean, you know, it's funny, you watch engineers walk on up into a meeting on a whiteboard and have at it with each other over like, you know, architecture or something. I don't know. I mean, I've seen Anton Krill do this in meetings where it's just like, if you were an outsider and you aren't an engineer and you're looking at this meeting, you're like, holy crap, somebody's about to whip out a knife. And, uh, you know, it's, it can seem like an argument, but it's just, you know, engineers can be very objective and technical and, uh, for some reason not damage each other's egos too much although some some get damaged um you know in their debates and so that they, those can be very intense heated conversations uh, not everybody wins um everybody's you know yeah. best practices and experiences are very different um, you know one of the things that's fascinated me for years and years and years is like the you know the technology adoption cycle um saturation and deprecation and you know that's it's interesting to see what kind of experience developers pull from um, and how they make what decisions you, and how they contribute what do you mean by that this cycle saturation and deprecation uh well for a long time i used to like metricize and measure stack overflow api data and track it over time um, mm -hmm. in my own little little system and do some quantitative analysis on it and uh, what I was looking for was how things trend over time. Um, you know, I personally started in technology when I was really young. And so you know, throughout my career, I've used things that are now no longer used. Um, you know, languages that are pretty much dead. Uh, things like Pascal and Visual Basic. And well, I guess there's new Visual Basic, but you know, oh, old Visual Basic. <laughs> uh, nobody uses that stuff anymore. Uh, you know, Lingo for Macromedia Director, um, Cold Fusion, uh, Adobe yeah. Flex. Um, so it's really fascinating to me. And I think early in my career, I wanted to choose something, you know, in technology that was going to have less seasonality, have a longer lifespan, uh, you know, not go away very quickly. So I started studying this thing and I ended up wanting to choose e-commerce and I landed on Magento after trying to build a few of my own frameworks um, mm -hmm. really early. So the, it was great and it's got a great gotcha. community. It, it's well engineered, it's, it's got a formal architecture. So what I noticed is that typically new technologies get adopted when they're simpler, like they solve a problem faster or uh, more simply than something else. Like you can, you can kind of use Node.js as an example of that. Like, right. all right, hey, we're going to get rid of all the other web server stuff and we're just going to do a couple things. We're going to do it really fast and really well. So and then, um, yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, a bunch of people pick it up because it's, it's easy to use. There's low barrier to entry. And then eventually you have a bunch of smart people from other technologies come in, 
and they start adding in these new concepts and things like that into the into the platform of the technology, it eventually gets more complicated and more complicated or it has to solve some of the same problems that it was never meant to solve from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which node definitely you can see that story unfold if you look at its history. Right. So that cycle has been really interesting to me. And then, you know, the other side of it is like, at what point does a technology become so big and so complicated that people are like, this is too much. I want to go use this simpler thing over here. Yeah. And they start working with something new, um, you know, and then you also see developers uh, who I think have just maybe mastered their first language. And it's like, I mean, we know how hard it is to master a language. It's a lot of work. And so by the time you get done with the first one, you know, your language is the best language. Nobody else's language is any good. And why would anybody use that? You know, and then eventually you start to figure out that it's like, it's all the same. It's just different syntax. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with PHP in particular, it's interesting because PHP is kind of, I think with, has kind of had this renaissance with like Laravel of, having like a really uh, cool community around it, a lot of innovation, like some really nice clean code and, and stuff like that. And um, like I have a buddy that's heavy into the Rails community. And I, I remember when, yeah, I would always feel inferior to the Rails people because it's like, you know, Rails is this newer, better, cooler thing. And I'm like, wow, I just know PHP. And it's almost flipped now to where like, the Laravel yeah. ecosystem is is like stronger in some way. And, and at the end of the day, it's not it's not really. You kind of get forced into these mindsets of comparison. It's not really about that. Um, but but you kind of can't help it a little bit when you're on one, when you're on one team or another. Um, sure. But uh, anyways, this is kind of a silly example. But I I um, moved my blog actually last night to uh, to GitHub Pages with Jekyll and uh from uh from medium and um it's funny because i was i was going in and i was changing my dns and i was looking at i was thinking about the different blogs i've used over the years like from hosting my own wordpress to using something that was um from self-hosted to hosted and back to self-hosted and now like you know there's like that cycle like oh let's do everything hosted no let's do let's let's do everything self-hosted um and then now it's kind of this funny combination of it's not it's well it's on GitHub so it's hosted, uh, but it's not it's not like a SaaS thing per se, um, and it's you know it's it's kind of cool how it's generating static HTML with Jekyll and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, but it's like you know because I was a big fan of Medium I was like, man Medium is really cool I like what they're doing it's really it's really polished, um, but they've started to throw up these paywalls and I, I was like, ah, no, nah, I don't want to deal with that. Like they throw this big pop-up if somebody's reading your article where they prompt people to pay. And it's, I struggle with it because in, in theory, I love the, this is sort of a tangent. Sorry. I just got to say, but <laughs> no, it's in, all good. in theory, I think paid content is a good thing. I think advertiser supported content has a lot of really deep flaws. So I think that's cool. I'm glad they're doing it, but I'm like, I don't want them throwing pop-ups on my damn article. So anyway, now I moved over. I'm self-hosted. I have control of the whole thing. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is great. Like I have control of everything. I could, you know, do whatever I want with it. So anyway, it's just funny. Cause I mean, I've had a blog in one form or another going back, like, gosh, like 
10, 15 years now. So it's just funny. You look back at the different, I had a tumbler, you know, it's like, what's the best thing? I think for Fabrizio Branca went over to static Jekyll pages for his blog. Pretty, pretty early. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun, but, um, Anyway, cool. you were talking about kind of that cycle, and I think jumping back back into that thread, you were talking about how to, you know, balance the trade off of developers that are super talented, that you know, and, and yeah. the cultural fit and the personality. Fit. Well, I mean, a couple of things. You know, I, it's like you said, you'd really have to go through and name off my whole roster. Like there, you know, there's there's some really strong people on our team, um, really exceptional people, people that are well known, not just David, um, people who have really accomplished. And, you know, you see a lot of these smaller companies, they'll get, you know, one or two rock stars or, you know, really talented people that are outperforming everybody else. And then, you know, a bunch of junior guys, they want to keep their costs down. And I think for us, um, you know, we might be a little less greedy than some other companies. <laughs> We, mm -hmm. we certainly mm -hmm. make sure that we take care of our people really well. Um, it's, it's good for business and it's good for long-term relationships. I mean, this is first and foremost, this is a people business. I mean, team, team-based development, team-based software projects, it's a people business. And if you don't put people first and at the center of how you structure uh, your processes, your organization, I mean, you're just, you're never going to have the kind of quality that we have at Mediotype. So that's important. You know, I've seen a couple companies, maybe we've talked about them at one point where like they've got some remote people, um, but they're like, you know, expecting their remote employees to, to log time every five minutes that they take to go to the bathroom. It's like mm -hmm. ins mm -hmm. insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. And, it, and it's like, I, you know, so I deal with a whole range of people uh, that are, that are hired. I deal with people that, like you are very sophisticated. No, you know, you talk about digital transformation and, and, you know, you guys are fully, you know, like, like digital high tech, you know, you guys, you guys know how to use all the tools. And then I deal with, you know, companies that are, you know, maybe they're a retailer or wholesaler and everybody they hire is in house, you know, a lot of the drive-by meetings, they don't, you, you know, aren't very comfortable with technology and they like, it's like they, their thing is like, how do I know if this person's working or not, you know? And um, part of me as a developer who myself personally has worked remotely and would never sort of shortchange my, my employer, part of me is like, oh, like that's a jerk move to even, <clears throat> to even think that. But then I've also met, I've also talked to developers who are like, yeah, I don't work very much, you know, like I get done what I need to get done, but you know, I'm not working a full day and I'm kind of like, Oh, all right. Like that's kind of sucks. But so like, I see the whole range of it and I'm trying to work with people that I think should be more open to hiring remote, but it's just such a leap for them. And they don't know how can I trust this person and this and that, and sure. I'm trying to help them kind of bridge the gap and figure it out. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's there's risk involved right like 100 percent um if you can get people to work out of the office you know early on that's great that helps kind of integrate uh culturally personal personally um but you at the end of the day kaylin like you've got to trust your people so yeah 
tr trust needs to be, you know, your first play. And you also need some, some macro level controls and some management expertise to know when somebody's taking advantage, um, not being accountable, you know, not living up to their end of the deal. Right. Cause this is a business deal. We, you know, we make good business deals for people that work for us and, if people aren't aren't living up to their end of the deal, it's not good for everybody, and it it affects everybody else on the team too. So, you know, if if, they, if there is a problem, you you there's got to be recourse towards dealing with it. If the person really truly is gaming the system, I think we had one person last summer uh, who just kept disappearing and having weird stories, and and it was really hard to follow. And we re, we tried to give him the benefit of the doubt for a really long time, but it you know eventually he kind of came clean and said this wasn't really working for him. So, you know, you you got to trust people. You got to give them you know the benefit of the doubt. And um, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But you're never ever going to build yeah. a practice if you aren't willing to take that step. And you know, for the most part, people are overall yeah. pretty good. I mean, people tend yeah. to have some moral character. Yeah, I think that like, it's funny because even for you, who I, who, who I would say are at the top of the game in this space, hiring remotely, um, have had a couple, a couple hiccups, right? And sometimes yeah. those hiccups might take weeks, couple months to present themselves and they could be, they could be, they could be pretty painful uh, little hiccups, even though percentage wise, it's a very, very vanishingly small percentage of of your sure. team and you're somebody that's at the top of your game so for someone else that isn't as good doesn't understand technology as well doesn't understand developers as well they get out there there is an inherent risk and sure. if they hit a snag a lot of them say no that no every everybody in house i want to see everybody that's sure. their comfort zone i want to see butts and seats i want to see everybody and they revert back to that um, i was talking to somebody that had kind of made that decision. They'd try somebody remote, didn't work. It's been about two years since then. They've been trying to hire in-house and they're just starting to get open to like, well, maybe we take another crack at this remote thing. So sure. I, th I think like part of me, I feel like this is the future for everybody. It's just unevenly distributed. It's going to take time for everybody to get there. Everybody's going to eventually get there, I think, to a significant extent. Sure. Um, and, it, you know, it's the, the trust thing is is tricky it is and i think you know i think we're actually entering a period where agencies teams make even more sense than in-house in teams um period because we have the ability to like build a magento team build a magento practice and build a software development life cycle that's you know really polished and dialed in um one of the advantages for instance you know working with Mediotype. Uh, we have a tendency to do risk mitigation um, on our client's behalf, on our company's behalf. And we tend to try to have at least two lead developers uh, familiar with and trained on a specific project. Uh, we have really well-defined, you know, roles, responsibilities, and processes. And at the, at the very least, you know, that way there's redundancy. Like if somebody gets hit by a bus, you know, or somebody burns you who's on your remote team, yeah. Um, you know, you create less risk for your clients and, and less risk for you as a company having to fulfill your responsibility to your clients. And I think we're going to see, you know, more and more that let, you know, let companies like Mediotype do what they do and with focus and implement Magento and do it really well. Um, 
internally, maybe you need, you know, a project manager, some director people, some people that are organizing the relationship. Yeah. But I think, I think you're going to see some, you know, some serious definition of, of why this model is actually more valuable for a company than building an in-house team going forward. That's a really, that's a really interesting point. And it's something you know, I think about like, cause I have lots of leads from, from merchants that are looking to hire and they, they don't convert nearly as well as, as, uh, as for agencies uh, for me, for Commerce Hero. And it's something I've been trying to kind of wrap my head around um, because when they're looking to hire somebody, it's, it's, um, it's a different type of person that wants to work in-house with the merchant um, and, and even if somebody does want to do that, um, you know, having the right structure in place around them, like we talked about the fact that one of the things people love about being on your team is that if something comes up, they can drop a question in Slack and get some help right away from somebody that knows what they're talking about. And that kind of environment is, is huge to the software development uh, process, you know, being able to get some support. So it's interesting that maybe that is maybe that is sort of the answer a lot of the time is to to work with an agency and so, you know sometimes merchants will be like well you know maybe they want to bring more in-house for one reason or another maybe it's related to ip maybe it's related to costs maybe maybe they just have an agency that isn't working out for them I, yeah i think um, we've all seen but, some agencies that don't work you know, if your agency is, it's billing you 50%, you know, of your invoice every month on project management time, you know, you're probably not with the right group. Yeah. Um, so you feel like for pretty yeah. much all, and then, I mean, so you feel like, like, I mean, like you made a pretty broad statement. So you feel like for pretty much all merchants, it's best for them to be working like, like, would you say like 80, 90% of merchants or merchants of a certain uh, type or size should not hire in-house? Like, what, what do you think are the no. parameters around that? Well, I think, I think probably like 80 to 90%. Um, you occasionally, and actually we supplement some merchants that have really fantastic internal uh, development processes. Right. So occasionally, you, you know, you find a merchant who's figured out how to get the right people and build a practice around it. But, you know, you, you can spend as many years building a good practice internally as you can, you know, building your project. So um, I think for a lot of merchants, they, they think, well, I just need a developer. I'll hire one guy. He'll know what he's mm -hmm. doing. You know, that guy comes in, maybe he doesn't use versioning control or there's no process. There's no checks and balances and accountability. So he's like, well, I've used Git before, but you know, now I don't have to. Well, what do you do when he's gone? I mean, what do you do if he gets hit by a bus? <laughs> no, like everything else, yeah. you know, and it's like, you know, I don't know. So um, standardizing, you know, the systems and process is really difficult across a lot of different merchants. Um, yeah, I think the criteria really comes down to, you know, do we have the budget for it? Because internally you're going to maybe save a little bit on developer costs, but you, you're going to have a much higher management cost if you're running a practice that's effective and working. Um, so do we have a budget for it? Do we have the people that can build the practice? And then how do we deal with risk mitigation and team changes at the merchant side, you know, in churn? Uh, because, 
you know, with us, we build client teams, you know, we, we build teams around our clients. There's a lot of knowledge transfer and documentation. If somebody's gone tomorrow, you know, we, we didn't lose much with merchants. You know, if you have, have losses on your team and a lot of knowledge gets lost, um, it can be really damaging. It can be a really big setback. And so every now and then you'll find, uh, you know, developers really interested in working on the merchant side. Um, you know, maybe they've worked with a bad agency or they're just curious about it uh, or they, you know, they want to go in somewhere long-term. You know, you can be long-term at an agency and you can work on projects long-term at an agency, but uh, you've got to be with the right people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, the other thing that, um, you know, is interesting to me about you guys is that you seem to do, well, first of all, you guys have grown really fast, getting, getting a ton of a business and stuff, but you seem to have a good model for how you engage with clients. Um, I think, I don't know if you want to talk about like retainer versus project type stuff at all, but you know, you seem to have a, a model that, that works well. And, um, I don't know if that's part of what makes remote work. I mean, certainly there's something there, like you have to have successful client relationships. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a people business. So we, we really, you know, look at our clients and we want the right kind of clients, right? So we want really long-term relationships and mm -hmm. we need enough time to be able to deliver meaningful outcomes on, you know, on behalf of our clients. And so, you know, we, we typically don't work with a small merchant who wants to do, you know, a 20 hour project one month and maybe a 40 hour project three months later. Um, that's, that's not really manageable or healthy. We've seen some SIs, you know, want a hundred clients who, you know, maybe 80 of them have a 30 hour project twice in a year. And they're like, Oh yeah, I've got so many clients and I can put all these logos on my website and it's good for marketing. And, at the end of the day, you know, you look inside their business and people are unhappy. The clients aren't happy. You know, nobody's really understanding why. And it's like, well, you know, maybe you didn't really define your engagements in a way that's healthy for your clients and healthy for your team and healthy for your business so that you can actually make business decisions. So, you know, we, we do do some new builds and, you know, new builds are different. You can, you know, wind up with eight people working on a project for a few months and, you know, you turn out a lot of work and then all of a sudden it bursts down. Um, for us, you know, we have a staple of really long-term support and maintenance relationships that we can scale back into. Um, we have a lot of internal projects we can run when we scale down on a new build and, and we try to diversify it. I mean, if we were a hundred percent new builds, there's no way this would work. We'd end up with like, really weird scheduling and resource allocation problems yeah um, you know and you've got to be of a certain size if we were a 10 person company it, it wouldn't work it would you know we we wouldn't have as much flexibility you know with timing in between i think the other thing that we do really well kaylin um you probably know this a little bit but it's a hard thing to explain but we plan really far in advance at MediaType. Um, you know, we'll sometimes hire somebody who, you know, isn't committed to coming on for three months and we're confident in the decision. And I think you find a lot of companies are like, oh my God, I got this new project. I got to hire three people right now. And it's, um, yep. you know, it, it doesn't work as well. And so we're, we're really running, uh, you know, a business where we're planning for the long term. We're planning out in front. 
Um, you know, we're in conversations with our clients about things they want to do six months from now. And we're making sure that we're, you know, committing to the right clients and committing to the right team members uh, and, and building a practice that will last. Yeah, that's an interesting one, too, because, you know, on the business side of things, you're trying to bring in business, you're trying to bring in work. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll um, you know, work with uh, agencies that are like, hey, I'm about to land a deal, we're going to need to ramp up for this deal relatively quickly. You know, and in the U.S., you know, the convention is that if somebody's going to, uh, you know, leave their job and join yours, uh, they're going to maybe give two to four weeks notice. In Europe, it's like two to three months. Yeah. Uh, uh, would you want to ramp up? You know, how do you say, well, let's do this in three months, four months, as opposed to you know, let's get this going within two weeks. You know, I think merchants are reasonable. Um, you know, yes, sometimes you will have somebody that's like, we've got to scale up very quickly. Um, the best clients we work with, they ask for what they need far in advance of when they need it. You know, they don't wait until the project's approved and then say, we need five people tomorrow. Um, you know, they're working on the approvals and talking with us several months out. So, you know, you can, I mean, especially like when you're, when you're playing the game at our level and pe people really trust you, they know your work, they know your clients, they know, you know, you're good, you know, they'll, they'll work with you. And if, if you turn around and you say, look, you know, here's some of the constraints, you've got holidays coming up, you've got this coming up, you've got seasonality in your business coming up. You know, so while we've defined a really great project from a timing standpoint, maybe we need to, to make some changes in the expectations. You know, it it doesn't work to throw six people at a project on day one. It just doesn't. I mean, you, you need that two to four weeks of somebody in the lead and project management getting organized to spin up enough detail where when you start throwing more people at it, they're effective. And, and you need those, those people who are leading to continue to lead along the way and, and forward plan. And, you know, I think when clients realize that that's the best formula for winning and for successful delivery and successful outcomes, you know, they'll start to work with you and be like, okay, I get why you only want two or three people on my project in month one. And then month two, you're going to scale into it. And the, you know, that gives us more time to do the things we need to do, right? Um, right. And, right. you know, I, I've had clients who've been reasonable, too, when we've been at capacity, and, and we've outright let them know, you know, we're at capacity for another two months, you know, do you want to work with us on this, or do you want to help us to help you find somebody else? You know, oftentimes, they'll wait and work with us. Right. Um, in 2019, you know, we're, we're going to be a little bit more strategic. We're going to have a bench um, in terms of capacity, and we already do. Um, we're going to increase that pretty significantly. So we're going to run a lot more internal projects to make sure that, you know, some of our people can get breaks from projects, from client work, and uh, right. make sure that we have a bench so that we can jump into things much more quickly. How do you, um, I love, I love that idea. I mean, uh, for multiple reasons, like being able to work on your own internal projects is great. Um, it allows you to maybe build some cool tech, maybe build a product, build out a product, gives your team something fun to work on. And then, 
um, you know, allows you to, to ramp up quickly if you need to. Um, how do you, um, how do you think about like keeping people assigned to the right projects, you know, maybe trying to give developers the little bit of variety, if that's something that they, that they're looking for assigning people to the right, you know, cause it's great to have long-term client relationships, right. From a business perspective, maybe from mm -hmm. a developer perspective though, if somebody has been working on the same client project for two years, you know, maybe they'd be interested in some more variety. That's one of the benefits of working for, for an, yeah. you know, so like, how do you think about that? Like, like, uh, well, so, some people are long hitters and they can stay engaged and enthusiastic on a project for a long period of time. Um, mm. from, from my experience, most developers, if they look at the same project for nine months, are going to really want to change lose scenery. their mind. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's like, you know, that's another thing that's nice about working, you know, with a big team at an agency. You do have a little bit of option for variety. If you want to stay glued to a project for a long time, you can. Um, but there's opportunities for you to step back, let somebody else run, run in, and you can still kind of advise and hand off knowledge. Um, you know, from my perspective, you got to get to know your team. Um, you got to have process in place. Uh, you've got to have one-on-ones with your team. You've got to check in. So if somebody's not happy, um, you know, working on the account that they're on, either because of personalities or client personalities, or if somebody's not happy because they're like, man, I've been writing UI components for nine months and I really want to figure out some other part. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. You know, we, we really encourage that. And from my perspective, you know, a lot of agencies have like a front end guy and a back end guy and we're really full stack focused. Somebody may come into this team and their strength is on the front end or their strength is on the back end. And mm -hmm. you know, we really want to facilitate them getting experiences to round out, you know, their skill sets and understand the whole stack and understand the whole mm -hmm. engineering and architecture it's only going to make them stronger in whatever their strengths are. Um, mm. So a lot of people initially are uncomfortable with that because people like to work. Uh, but eventually when they realize how supported they are on the team, um, that can be really nourishing and it just makes, makes people grow. And at the end of the day, yeah. I think we're all, we're all kind of figuring out growth is happiness, right? And as long as we're growing, we're, you know, presented with new problems to solve and challenges. Um, you know, we can kind of stay in it stay in the game, not lose heart. And right. I think we do a pretty good job of kind of keeping that, that momentum. Yeah. How do you, you talk a little bit about one-on-ones and, and stuff like, and uh, you know, making like making sure people are still enthusiastic uh, about what they're working on. That's one of those things that can be, kind of slippery like you you can see it like some sometimes it's like you know it when you see it but other times it's like maybe you don't hear from the person maybe they don't express it maybe whatever they're just they're not i mean you're totally right and i think you know as an employee sometimes you're scared just to have not those conversations yeah so it's um yeah, it's, that's a good question. You, you aren't going to see it 100% of the time, but if you're not trying, you're going to, you know, you're not going to see any of it. So you have to, you have to put that, you know, process into your practice and you have to do those check-ins. You, you know, you might catch 
you know, 80% more than you're catching today. But yeah, you're right. There's, there's going to be some that slip by. There's going to be some times where people are like, okay, I'm ready for a different experience. Um, you know, and as much as I'd love my team to stay together for the long term, and, and I strongly believe a lot of these guys will, uh, everybody's different. You know, there's life, life events that happen. Family members die. You know, you move to another country because your, you know, fiance got a job. There's, there's things that come up. So, you know, being understanding and supportive of people's directions and paths as, as things grow and change is really important. And I think if you take that attitude, you know, I think people are going to want to stay with you a lot longer. Um, mm. Good leadership is really important. But if you're, if you're not doing any of that, you know, you're host. And if you, if you think that your development team is resources that are allocated and you can squeeze results out of, like, you're not going to last too long. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so like how, how often do you do the one-on-ones? Uh, pretty much monthly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you do them, you do them yourself or you have, cause with 30, 35 people, like, are you starting to have to have a layer where we do, we have to have, we have to have a layer that, that takes care of some of that for us. And, uh, you know, we've got some exciting things happening. We have a COO coming on in January. Uh, he's very experienced. We have a CTO coming on at the beginning of February. Uh, I'm not going to name drop, but I'm sure you'll know who he is. And it's another, uh, another impressive name that you're going to add to the list. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to run an experiment, Kaylin. I'm going to put all of the best people in our space on one team and we're going to see what happens. Sounds like it sounds like a good experiment. <laughs> Cool. That's cool. Um, nice, man. Well, I'm getting ready to, to jump into to yoga class here. So. <laughs> getting, <laughs> great. Uh, well, it's been great talking with you this morning. Yeah, man. Same here. Thanks. Thanks. And uh, any any um, anything else? Again, I'll do a little pre-recording. I'll mention your links and, and Twitter sure. and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. any uh, anything else you want to mention, touch on, point people to? Watch for the brand refresh. We're rolling it out in January, and uh, I think it'll give people a much better sense of who we are and what we're doing. Uh, okay, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the one thing is, like, you guys have a really impressive team. have done some really interesting work. There's the security tool you did for Magento, but your website is a little little, little crusty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been really good at flying under the radar. Sometimes I have to tell uh, people that. Sometimes they're like, I looked at the website, and I was like, ah, don't, don't, don't pay too much attention to that. Wait till you meet the team, then you'll be impressed. Yeah, we have 14,000 clients. We have three publicly traded companies as clients about to be more. Um, we've worked on some really interesting long-term projects over the years. So yeah, our, we've been flying under the radar and I think it's time to peel back the curtain a little and just kind of upgrade, you know, our presence and our presentation layer so that it matches our identity a little better. Yep. Awesome. Yep. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Ciao.